But happy Resurrection Sunday, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter Sunday. So excited just to celebrate with you the greatest event in the history of the world. Now, just an awesome, awesome thing we get to celebrate as Christians that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, everybody. He is alive. Come on. We give him praise for that. That all other religions, their founders and their gods are dead. Ours was dead, but he is alive. Amen, everybody. He is alive forevermore. And that's good news. That's something we can celebrate, be excited. I'm so, so excited about this morning. I was just, during worship, just... I love this moment every week, but on Easter Sunday, it just hits a little different. It's just just a little different just to raise our praise and our, our offering and our worship. And so just an awesome, awesome Sunday to be a part of. Honored to have all of you with us. And I want to go ahead also, we've done this a couple of times in the service already, but I want to welcome those in the room and those watching online. Come on, can we welcome our church together? On this Easter, man, just love you guys, wherever you're watching from. If you're in the room today, we are one church just worshiping our risen Savior. Just an incredible opportunity that we have. And in the spirit of Easter and in the spirit of 2021... Uh, We're going to be bringing back an Easter tradition that we missed last year. We missed out on it. So go ahead and on your seat, pull out the card we put on every seat this morning and the pen we gave you. If it's missing, your neighbor stole it. All right, everybody. If you don't have one, so just go ahead. If you're watching online, we have it for you as well. Uh, www.victoryharvest.com slash survey slash survey. If you're watching online, you could pull that up. Have those questions. Just a couple of things. I would love to get some feedback from you today. And we've done this in Easter's past. But we missed out last year, so I'm excited to bring it back. The first one, I'll put it up on our monitor so you can see it. The first question we want you to answer is, is there anything that we can pray with you about? Is there anything we can cover in prayer? If you missed it in the foyer on your way in, we have it for you right here. All right, everybody? And you ask, well, why? Why would you want to know that? Because prayer works, everybody. Prayer is incredibly powerful in the life of a believer. And so we want to cover those things in prayer. We want to stand with you. We want to cover those. We have a team dedicated just to praying. And so we want to pray over those things with you. So write that down if there's anything we can pray with you for. We want to cover that. And the second question is, I would most like to hear a message about, and there's a blank there. Because next Sunday we're starting, we're bringing back one of our favorite series that we love to do called You Asked For It. And so that's going to start next Sunday. And what we do is we make a series based around your answers to question number two. And so you say, I've got some questions about what the Bible says about this and what God's word has to say about that. Because listen to me, everybody. This is not four weeks of self-help, all right? That's not what this series is. This isn't ask the pastor his opinion. We go to God's word and what it has to say about the things that you may be struggling with or asking questions about. And so I love this series, one of my favorite ones that we do around here. And so that starts next Sunday. And I can't tell you what part one is because I haven't read your cards yet. All right, everybody. So that's going to be an exciting, exciting time. And I do this every year, kind of enjoying with that. Uh, and that is, in years past, we've been a little vague with this question. And I realize that's on us. That's our fault. But anytime you give a church blank lines and a pen, you're asking for trouble. All right, everybody. And so in years past, we have gotten every type of question or statement or thing that you have tried to ask uh, during these things. And so I collected some of my favorite ones. You want to see them, everybody? You want to see some of them? I can't tell you because they're in the room and I don't need that in my life. All right, everybody. So, but here's, all right, here's my favorite ones. First one is, I think I heard a squirrel in the foyer. (laughs) 
Now, that's more of a statement than a question. All right, everybody. I just want to put that. But let me correct it for you. I know you heard a squirrel in the foyer. All right. I am 100 percent sure that you heard a squirrel because that fight rages on everybody. I think it's a war that will go into eternity. I just feel like I'm going to be hearing squirrels gnawing on clouds in heaven. All right. I just it's just part of my life. You have to be there. All right. You just have to be there. All right. Here's the second one in this thing. I can't find the bathroom. This one has actually asked me three times in person last year. And so we heard you, everybody. We heard you. So just in time, you may have noticed, just in time for Easter, Kirby redesigned the bathroom signs out there, made them look beautiful, made them look great. All right, everybody. So you might have seen them. He even designed a special one for the ladies' restroom that he designed with a verse on it, everybody. John 13, throw that up there. What thou doest, do quickly. Come on, son. Happy Easter, everybody. So we, we heard, listen, when you ask questions, we answer. All right, everybody? We, <laughs> ooh, I can tell this is going to get out of hand already. All right, here's, my last, here's the last one. My favorite question. Is the world ending in 2020? Is the world? And I want to answer that question today. All right, everybody? With authority. I want to answer that question you asked me a few times through email last year and text. No, the world will not end in 2020. All right? You're safe, everybody. It will not end in 2020. So we learned our lesson. You'll notice we started the sentence for you this time around. Uh, and you can fill that in. And it, honestly, any question goes. But things that you've struggled with, things you've seen in your own family, in culture, questions you have, love to do that as part of this series. Going to be an incredible time for one starting next week. But I'm going to tell you this morning, on Easter Sunday, I want to tell you two stories of two different thieves. Two stories of two different thieves. And I want to preface the first story with a question. And that is, have you ever gotten what you deserve? In your life, think back over your stories and your history and your time. Have you ever gotten what you deserved? And I spent a few weeks abroad in England and Scotland during a study abroad time during my time in college. And what they do is you visit a foreign country and then you write 100 pages on it and they give you college credit. Come on, somebody. It's quite a racket they have going. But I spent some time over there and my roommate on the trip as part of the group I had never met before in my entire life. And so this morning I'm going to call him Stephen because that's his name. And so I'm going to go ahead and refer to him. And one of the great moments of the trip was when we got to visit Hadrian's Wall. And so Hadrian's Wall is this ancient Roman fortification that stretches across the middle of Britain. It survived the test of time. It's this incredible fixture across there. And you can go and visit it. And so it was the highlight. We spent the whole day there. And that night when we got back to the room and we're about to to turn into bed and go to sleep and kind of wake up for the next morning, whatever it would be, out from his backpack, Stephen pulls half of a stone that he has chipped out of the wall of Hadrian's wall. And as I look at this thing, about 20 pounds of rock, I begin to imagine what the inside of a British prison cell looks like. I begin to think, like, we're both going down for this. This is about to, I, I see the guards with the funny hats. It's going to be a whole thing, all right? But that wasn't the end of it, because so began Stephen's great pillaging of the British Empire. It did not matter where we went, be it cathedral or monastery or Scottish fortress. Every night, Stephen would empty his pockets with some ancient architectural artifact that he had stolen for around until day 15. Because day 15, Stephen went too far. And so we were on some little island and it had a little monastery that had a little museum and it had a little museum director. He just had to be there, all right, everybody. But in the midst of there, Stephen saw a little stick egg replica that he just had to have. And so in the boldness of repetition, he stretched his arm out right under the nose of the museum director. 
And so from across the museum, I heard the director start to shout. And then I heard one of our professors start to shout. And then everybody started shouting. It was a great, great moment. But I remember the pandemonium inside of that little museum. And let me ask our first question a little bit different. Have you ever cheered for someone to get what they deserve? <laughs> anybody? Anybody ever? You don't have to do a show of hands today. I got, I got show of hands later. But have you ever cheered for somebody to get what they deserve? Because I remember that night. I remember that night sitting with Stephen in our hotel room because somewhere up the British chain of command, there must have been somebody who remembered what it was like to be a stupid, young 18 year old kid in another country. Because for some reason, Stephen was allowed to live. Come on, somebody. And for some reason, after a little bit of restitution, Stephen was allowed to finish the trip. But I remember sitting with him. I remember sitting with him after And you can decide if that's good or bad, by the way, that he was allowed to finish the trip. Because it ended with him almost throwing the both of us off of an eight-story building. So that was, I decided it wasn't a good thing, everybody. But I remember sitting with him that night. And his face when he realized what could have happened to him. What what could have occurred. And what little slap on the wrist he got. What they could have done. And so I'll ask our question a final way. Have you ever not gotten what you deserved? Have you ever gotten it? Have you ever cheered for someone else to get it? But have you ever not received what you deserve? Because as we celebrate Easter today, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus in his ministry was surrounded by people that deserved one thing, but because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, he gave them something else. The woman caught in adultery who deserved condemnation, but Jesus gave her mercy. Zacchaeus, horrible sinner, right? The wee little man was he. You've sung that song before. Extortionist. That deserved to be rejected and Jesus gave him acceptance, even went to his house. Peter, who failed time and time and time again, failed and rejected and denied Christ, who deserved to be counted out. And yet Jesus gave him another chance. Countless times. And today we're going to look at the story of someone who actually deserved death. A man who deserved death, but because of the mercy and grace of Jesus, he gave him life. In order for us to walk through this with a little bit of understanding, I want to start with one big thought. A lot of times I'll give you three points because I have preacher's disease. But today I want to give you one big thought today that I think we have to understand before we can get any further in this discussion for this good news to actually be good news. And here's a thought. Jot it down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and jot this down somewhere. All right, everybody. Is that is we are all guilty of breaking God's laws. We are all guilty of breaking God's laws. Every single one of us, including you, including me. We are all guilty of breaking God's laws. And I want to prove it to you. For example, all of the grief that I've given Stephen this morning. But how many of us have ever stolen something? Come on, show of hands today. Participate. All you thieves, show us your hands. Come on. (laughs) You understand? Bunch of sinners we have in church today. All right. And those of you who haven't raised, you're probably lying in church. So you are a thief and a liar in church, right? So welcome to Easter at Victory where we make you feel really good about yourselves. And you're probably a cheater too. So there you go. Welcome everybody. This is what James chapter 2 says. For the person who keeps all of the laws. Except. Help me out here. Except how many? One. Is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. I want to read that again for you for effect. Because sometimes we skip over these. For the person who keeps all of the laws. Except for one. Is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. 
A lot of people don't like that verse. They think, that doesn't, I don't like that at all. I'm trying really hard here. I'm trying to really, really hard. And you're saying, if I break one, and I'm, yeah, if you break one of them, you're as guilty as someone who's broken all of the laws. That means if you stole only once, you are a thief. If you lied only once, if you lusted only once, if you committed adultery only once, if you, if you committed one, anyone who's broken one law is not as, as, as guilty as if they've broken all of them. Is guilty before God as if they've broken all that. And we know by reading the Bible in Romans in chapter 6, it tells us what the payment is, what the penalty is, the wages of that sin. If we've broken just one of them, we're guilty of breaking all of the laws. And it tells you what happens when you break the laws. Watch this in Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, we have sinned. We deserve death. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care if it's me, if it's you. I don't care what you've done. We deserve death. But because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, God doesn't have to give us what we deserve. Doesn't have to give us. Luke 23, we're going to look at the second story of two thieves, everybody. Second story this morning. And we're going to see Jesus actually hung on the cross between them. Here's what Luke says in chapter 23. He says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there. Along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, before we get to the next part of the story, I want to talk about the crucifixion for just a moment. Because there are a lot of different ways that you could execute someone in the life of Jesus. A lot of different ways they could do it. Crucifixion happened to be the most expensive. It happened to be the most expensive way you could execute. And the reason it was the most expensive is because of the manpower it required to pull it off. You needed four Roman soldiers and a centurion. And the crucifixion would last several days. And so your cost on manpower alone was expensive. Now, the reason that the Romans would still crucify people is it not only was expensive, but it was also the most painful and humiliating way that you could execute someone. And the reason it was humiliating is they would strip these guys down naked before they would put them on the cross. And they would put them out in front of everybody and the crowds would come around them and they would laugh and jeer at them. And the sun would begin to bake them in the sun. So over a period of days, it would go almost insane from the heat. And literally to bake them on the cross. And the birds would pick at them. And the people would jeer and they would laugh. And you'd have to pull yourself up just to breathe. And so after days, eventually you lost the strength even to pull yourself up. And they would suffocate and they would die. It's the most humiliating, excruciating, painful way. And we see this horrible situation which should tell you a little bit about what these criminals might have done. Because the Greek word for for thief there, the Greek word that they use, it means that theft was the least of their crimes. It was this horrible, horrible crime that both of them had committed. That the Romans would spend extra money to excruciatingly pain them and excruciatingly humiliate them as they wanted to humiliate Jesus. And so here we see them in this horrible situation. In verse 39, watch this. One of the criminals who hung there... What did he say? He hurled insults. And so we don't know all he said, but he at least said this. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. That's my angry criminal voice. Work with me, people. All right. So it's the best. It's the best I've got. But the other criminal rebuked him. So the other guy on the other side pipes back and he says, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence. Don't you fear God? We're punished justly. Watch what he says this. We're punished for our sins, but we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. What I'd like to do today is humbly and gently submit to you 
that every single one of us is one of these two thieves. Every single one of us, spiritually speaking, in God's sight, are one of these two thieves. And what I want to do is to look at this story. I want to look at each of their stories. And then I want to summarize so you can decide if you're more like thief number one or more like thief number two. Let's look at the first one. And we'll look again at verse 39. He's hanging there. He's hurling insults at Jesus. One gospel says he's blaspheming. Amidst the pain and amidst the curses, he's blaspheming. Amidst that, he screams out at Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. What do we know about this guy? What do we know about him? We know that in the midst of the pain, he's screaming out in this anger. What do we know? We know that he's arrogant. We know that he's entitled. He's being a smart aleck even in the midst of all of this. We know that he's kind of self-entitled. If there's anything about God that he wants, he's like, okay, okay, if you're really Jesus' savior guy, if you're really that Messiah, whatever guy, then save yourself and save us too. He's got something about God he wants. And he's saying, if it really is true, I, I, I'm blaspheming, I'm railing. I don't really believe. He's being smart, Alec, in the way that he's saying this. But he's saying, if you are, then save us as well. And I, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, approach God in the same way. A lot of people are like, okay, all right, okay. If there really is a hell and the heaven, all right, just whatever. Okay, I'll say the stupid little prayer. How does it go again? And, and I'll check the little box wherever you want me to check. I'll do all the little things you want me to do. I'll do those. You want me to get baptized? Yeah, I'll do all of that. I'll check all of the box so I can get something from this. That if there really was a thing, I don't really believe. But if, if there was, and I'll do the whole thing, whatever it takes to get stuff from him. But, but don't ask anything from me. Don't, don't ask me to admit anything. Don't ask me to do anything. It's an entitled mindset. And this guy is not recognizing any guilt. I haven't done anything wrong. This isn't fair. If you're really God, you take me off of this cross. If you're really the Messiah, then I, I'm, I, we shouldn't be on these either. This is not fair. We should be taken off of this. If you're going to ask me to summarize this guy in one word, if I had to summarize him in one word, this first thief, he's unrepentant. He's unrepentant. He's not owning any of his sinfulness. He's not owning any of his guilt. He's not done anything wrong. He's critical. He doesn't fear God. He's unrepentant. The second criminal, though equally guilty. I want you to get that from this story. For the same crime as the first, equally guilty, equally deserving of death, equally guilty in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of God, equally guilty. When he says this in verse 40, watch this, the same, same type of criminal, same person, but on the other side. Watch this in verse 40. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Don't you have any fear of God? Sometimes I think Jesus would say that to some people today. Don't you have any fear at all of God? Don't, don't you fear any at all? Thief number two says, since we're under the same condemnation, we're under the same sentence, we have the same, and watch what he says in this, but we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. In other words, we broke the law. In other words, we are the sinners. We actually deserve this. But this guy, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve it at all. And if I'm going to summarize the second guy, I'm going to tell you he is guilty. He's no doubt about it. But he's broken. He's humble. He is guilty. He's, we're not sugarcoating over there. He's just as guilty as the first thief. But in the second one, we find someone who's humble. He, even though he's not perfect, he has some fear of God. And if I'm going to summarize the second thief, I'm going to say he was repentant. Thief number one was unrepentant. Thief number two is repentant. He knows he needs mercy. He knows he needs help. Just as guilty as thief number one. No difference in their guilt. No difference in the crime and the sin they've committed. Just as guilty. But the first thief, 
unrepentant. The second thief repented. He knows he needs help and he's crying out on Jesus. He's crying out. Let me tell you why this is so important. We live in a culture today, in a world that culture has significantly shifted. 20 years ago, people had no problem saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand. I am a sinner. Yeah, I understand. I, 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 what I did was wrong. I understand. Now today, people get so upset. Don't call me a sinner. Don't call what I've done wrong. I'm not a bad person. Don't, don't you dare say that that thing is wrong or that thing. I'm not a bad person. Don't call me wrong. And the problem is it's because we're comparing ourselves to other people instead of to God. Some of you may be sitting right there. The person next to you is way worse of a person than you are. Come on, somebody. Go ahead and elbow them. Say, you make me feel really good about myself. Tell them you just... <laughs> Come on, it's Easter. You could... Reality is so often, though, the mindset is, don't tell me I'm a bad person. Don't, don't tell me that what I did is wrong. Don't tell me something. Let me tell you why this is important, that we have to come back to a place where we can recognize, yeah, I have sinned. Let me tell you why it's so important. Until we recognize that we are sinners, we will never see our need for a Savior. Until we recognize our sin. Until we're like thief number two, we recognize that we have done wrong. We will never see our need for a Savior. Until we have that moment, we recognize we have fallen short by God's standards. Because too often we try, to just get, we try to just get an average for the people in our life. Am I doing better than them? Am I doing worse? Than, how can I get average? But we're comparing ourselves to people, not to God. And in God's standards, we read it already, all have sinned. We all have sinned. We all deserve death. And it's at that moment that we recognize that we have fallen short of God's standards. It's at that moment that we become a candidate for His grace. When we recognize that we are sinners, that's the moment that we become a candidate for the grace of God. But if you're unrepentant, if you're arrogant, you're full of pride, and so many people today unfortunately are, you're more like thief number one. But you recognize, I need forgiveness, you're more like thief number two. I'll illustrate it this way. Until you see your sinfulness, you won't see your need for a savior, all right? So we're going to participate a little bit more. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Come on, somebody. We're going to raise our... Everybody participate. It's no fun without you. Bunch of sinful... Look at our sinful church today. Good Lord. Come on, one more time. How many of you have gotten a speeding ticket? There we go. Ushers, please come and remove these people from... From Easter Sunday. Come on, a bunch of law-breaking... I got pulled over one time in the great state of Virginia, everybody. All right? Got pulled over. And so I had to go to traffic court with all of you losers, all of you law-breaking, law-breaking sinners in the midst. But the speeding, the speed that I went took me out of the speeding ticket category and into the Class C felony misdemeanor category. All right, everybody? And so in Baton Rouge, we call it normal flow of traffic up there. I don't know what to tell you. All right, everybody? I don't know. Uh, But I went to court with my Uncle Ronnie. And if you don't have an Uncle Ronnie, you need to get one. All right, everybody? I'll just say that right now. If you don't have one, you need one. Because I'm shaking by my head to my toes. Because I've read online in the months leading up to this about how it's, it's a maximum fine of two years in prison, $5,000 fine. I'm shaking in my boots, but Uncle Ronnie gets me up there. I remember we're there about an hour early, and I'm just, I'm, I'm shaking. I'm trying just not to say anything, not to do anything. But Ronnie has me outside of the courtroom, and he's saying, okay, show me which policeman pulled you over. Is it him? Is it that one? Is it as they arrive at the courthouse? Now, the last person in the world that I want to see right now is the policeman that pulled me over. All right, everybody. But he's got me out there. So I point him out. And so Ronnie hauls me over there and he introduces himself. Yes, sir. My name is Ronnie. And this is my my nephew. You caught him red handed blowing through your county. And he just wants you to know what an idiot he is, that he'll never do that again. (laughs) And then they both looked at me. Now, I had stayed up. 
For two weeks prior to this, every night trying to figure out what my excuse was going to be for how fast I had been going. What my, what my excuse, my tires were too big for my truck, right? My speedometer is from Louisiana. It doesn't work on hills, everybody, right? It doesn't, doesn't right? I had everything lined up. But in that moment, you want to know the blessing of an angel named Uncle Ronnie. That trooper didn't need to hear my thousand excuses that he's heard a thousand times. And so all I said was, yes, sir, I'm an idiot and I'll never do it again. And all he said to me was, go in, say you're guilty, and I'll see what I can do. And so we went and sat in the courtroom. If you've never been to traffic court, goody, goody, two shoes that you are, all right, everybody. If you've never been, you sit and you watch each person go up before you and give their case. And so for a couple of hours, we sat there and I watched countless people go up and do the exact thing that I had stayed up all night planning to do. I'd go before the judge and they'd give their excuse. I, I can't be held responsible. I didn't see the sign. It wasn't posted clearly. I, I, no way I was going. I know he clocked me at 82, but I wasn't going over 40. That's excuse after excuse until finally the judge said, workman. And so I stepped up there and he looked at me and he said, okay, what's your plea? And in that moment, I had, I had in my mind, speedometer, hills. Come on, tires, oversized tires. I had that moment of thing, but all I said was, yes, your honor, I am guilty. I made a stupid mistake, but I did the speed that it says that I did. And I remember he looked back down and he said, I've got a note here. Officer, you say you have a recommendation for what you think I should do. And the officer stepped up and he said, yes, sir. He said, well, what is it? And the officer said, I, I recommend that we change the clock number, that we knock the felony charge off, and that we allow him to go to traffic court to get the ticket off his record. And the judge said, done. Mr. Workman, you're free to go. I walked out of that courtroom with Uncle Ronnie next to me. I was dancing. The world was a new place. The birds were singing. The sun was shining. And I tell all of you that, not for in the physical. I know some of you may get a ticket and you may have to pay the price. Some of you may, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling you that entire story to let you know. But in your spiritual life, if you are arrogant... And you are full of pride. If you're full of excuses to justify why you've done what you've done. You're full of excuses to justify. God looks on you and says, I can't do anything for you. You go before the judge and you say, I've got this excuse. I've got this speedometer. I shouldn't be held responsible. I, I know it, that, but I, I shouldn't be responsible for what I've done. You go before they're arrogant, full of pride. Self-entitled. God looks on that and says, I can't do anything to help you. In fact, the Bible says you're full of pride. He'll even resist you. Not that he won't even help. He'll actively resist you. But you come to him and say, I'm repentant. I'm an idiot. I messed up. I was wrong. I am wrong. You come before him with repentance. Suddenly you become a candidate for his grace. You become a candidate for the grace and mercy of Jesus. And this just blows my mind. Jesus was hanging on the cross next to two guilty people. They were equally guilty. Two people who had sinned the exact same way, equally guilty. Both of them deserved death. And yet both men saw and heard the exact same thing during those faithful last few hours. Both had the same perspective. One didn't get to see something. The other didn't. Both had the same perspective. Both got to see Jesus on the cross. Both nailed on the cross right next to him. They both had the same opportunity. They both were suffering equally severely. They both needed a savior. And one missed it. And one didn't. Equal opportunity, equal perspective, equal sin, equal guilt. Both in need of a savior, side by side. And one missed it and one didn't. 
And this kept me up last night praying, knowing that the very same thing is going to happen today. And there's going to be two people sitting here in this room, two people watching online, sitting next side to each other, two people singing the same songs, two people hearing the same message about the goodness of God, two people with the same perspective, two people with the same opportunity. And one is going to miss it. One's going to be more like thief number one. Stupid religion. I don't need that. I'm not a bad person. I'm not as bad. I know what he said and I know what I'm hearing, but I'm not as bad a person as he says I am. I don't need all of that stuff. And right next to them, right next to them is going to be a person who knows their sin, who recognizes how broken we are, who says, I need a savior. Right next to each other, same perspective, same song, same message about the goodness of God. And one's going to get it and one's going to not. We have this opportunity and the good news is that second one, it's going to call on the name of Jesus and be transformed in a way that's impossible to describe with earthly words. Changed, renewed, transformed, brought back, redeemed, healed. Because the second thief, I want to show you this. He deserved death. He deserved it. It's not men's words today. He deserved death, but Jesus gave him life. The reason I get so fired up is his story is my story. Every single one of us. The reason I love this story that I read it every Easter, the reason that we can't pass over this second thief, his story is our story. That every one of us was broken. Every one of us needed a savior. And this illustrates the beauty of the love of Christ. And if this doesn't draw you to the love of God, I don't know what will. Let me show you the power of the story. Verse 42. The thief cried out, Jesus. Now watch this. We're going to read what he says. And I want you to pay attention because you might miss it. It just kind of passes on by. Watch what he says. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did you get it? I'm going to read it again in case you weren't paying attention. All right, everybody. He says, then Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. That's the entirety of his prayer. It doesn't go, oh, king, oh, great, gracious one who sits above the circle of the world. Oh, great one, I beseech you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Would you turn your eye upon this unrepentant? No, no begging, no high fancy word. No, no, Jesus, remember me. That's it. Remember me. The simplest prayer you can imagine as he cries this out to the Savior. And watch Jesus' response. Look what he says. He looks back over at this guy in the midst of pain and agony himself. But even in the midst of all that, on his way to accomplish his goal, his mission, in the midst of all of that, Jesus turns and looks at this guy in mercy. He looks at him and he says, and he said, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right there in eternity for this guy is changed forever. And if you read it so fast, sometimes you'll miss it. In those couple of sentences, eternity is changed for this guy forever. Equally guilty. But one recognized it and one did not. It's the purest illustration of Ephesians 2 that you will find anywhere in the Bible. Any story you want to quote from the Bible, it's the purest illustration of this. You say, well, what does it say? Verse 8 says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, by the grace of God, through believing that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. Through faith, believing that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is enough. It's through grace, through faith that you've been saved, not by works. You're not made right with God by anything that you could do. It's the gift of God. There's nothing you could do to earn it. You're not made right with God by going to church. You're not made right with God 
by doing good things. You're not made right with God by being a nice person. You're not made right with God by helping little old ladies across the street. I just hate to break it to you, everybody. You're not made right with God by being a religious person. You're not made right with God by trying to do nice things. You're not made right with God by not cursing on the golf course. Come on, because you might need God's power not to do that, everybody. But you're not made right with God by being a religious person. Made right with God by grace through faith, the gift of God. Not through works, not through anything that we've done. You're made right with God through grace, through faith. And this story illustrates that perfectly. This Easter, we look at that second thief. He couldn't do good works. His hands were bound to the cross. He couldn't go to church. He he couldn't come off of the cross. He couldn't turn over a new leaf and do good things. His life was ending. He's dying. He had to put all of his faith... All of his trust, all of it in the fact that Jesus could save him. And he cries out to the master. Couldn't do all of these things. And frankly, a lot of people, even in the Christian world, don't like this story. They don't like this story because then it says that what they've been saying and what they've been trying to hurt people with is no longer true. There's nothing you could do to make God love you more. There's nothing you could do. To earn your way into heaven. It's not because you're a religious person. It's not because you gave a certain amount. It's not because you did good things. We are saved through grace. The grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And that second thief, he looks at him. He can't do anything. He's hanging on a cross. He can't can't do anything to end. His life is ending. But he puts his faith in the grace and in the power of Jesus. That what Jesus has done is enough. And suddenly, suddenly other verses in the Bible come alive to us. Suddenly other verses begin to make more sense. Because then suddenly I read in Psalms 103, watch this. It says, I praise our God. I praise Him that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. That God did not treat me as my sins deserve. I lift up a praise to Him that He does not give us what we deserve. But instead, because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. For as far as the east is from the west, as far as that, He has removed our transgressions from us. I don't know how you're sitting there silent, everybody. Sometimes I've got to praise Him for what He's done. Sometimes in my life, I've got to worship him for what he's done. Because here's the good news that you cannot miss. We don't go to heaven because we are good. We go to heaven because God is good. We are not forgiven of our sins because we are good. We are forgiven because he is good. We are not saved because we are good. We're saved because he is good. He is good. That we've been given the greatest grace and mercy and we cannot miss this. We cannot miss this. That is the heart of the gospel. It's nothing that we have done. We're not saved through works. It's nothing that we have done. We're not saved through being good. It's nothing that we have done. We are saved through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That he does not give us what we deserve. That we deserve death. First part of Romans 6, we read it. We deserve death. We deserve death, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the heart of the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus who did, who did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped. But humbled himself. You understand that? He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But humbled himself as a servant. As an obedient servant even to death on a cross. You really think about that sometimes. 
That the Savior of the world, our God in the flesh, hung on a cross. And there have been offshoots of religion that try to downplay it. That try to say, no, it was Jesus, God in the flesh, who hung on that cross. When he should have been sitting on a throne, he hung on a cross. In humiliation and in pain, he hung on a cross. When he should have had a crown of gold, he had a crown of thorns. When he should have been surrounded by servants and worship and praise, he's surrounded by thieves. That same Jesus who hung on a cross in our place, innocent, no guilt at all, even while innocent gave his life for us. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were somehow good people, then he also died. Not because we somehow had done enough, then he also No, while we were sinners. Equally deserving of death, equally guilty, Christ gave his life for us. That's why we celebrate on Easter. That he hung there on the cross. And in his mind, he carried the weight of the sins of the world. And he hung them there on the cross. And at the end, he lifted his face to heaven and he said, Father, it is finished. Once and for all, it is finished. The sins of the world, the Savior, conquering all, it is finished. He, I've done what you asked me to do. And he lifted up his face and he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And when he did, the earth shook. And the veil was torn and the skies turned dark. And the people began to shout. And the centurion who was standing there said, surely this man was the son of God. And the earth shook. Jesus lifted up his spirit and it shook and the skies grow dark. And when everyone thought it was over, heaven knew it was just getting started. Come on, everybody. Because three days later, when they went to the tomb, the stone was rolled back. Christ was not there because he is risen. And in that one act, he won the victory over death, hell and the grave that we could be forgiven. He took back the keys. Death, hell and the grave. One act, he defeated it all that we have a risen and glorified king. And the Savior of the world, that we deserve death, but sure the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. God looks at us and doesn't give us what we deserve, that he sees the grace of Jesus on our life. And he does not give us what our sins deserve, that he sees the grace. Therefore, First Peter chapter 1, he says, I say praise be to the Lord and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Watch this. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. Into a living hope. That's when you call in the name of Jesus. You are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. That he's offered that to all of us. Equally guilty. No one less guilty than the other. Equally guilty. But through the grace and mercy of Jesus. I give thanks to God. That he does not give us what we deserve. But he has given us new birth. Into a living hope. That what we have now is not a dead hope. 2,000 years. We have a living hope that lives and breathes. That stands at the right hand of the Father. And ever makes intercession for us. That we have a King who is alive, everybody. That we have a living hope. Through the resurrection. Watch this. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. It's why we gather together today with billions of other Christians around the world. It's why we celebrate that the tomb is empty, everybody. That Jesus is alive. That we don't have to pay for our sins. But once and for all, he paid for our sins at the cross. And that rising from the dead, he took over dominion over death, hell, and the grave. That we don't have to suffer. That we don't have to pay for our sins. That he does not give us what we deserve. But through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That we are forgiven. That we're set free and that our king is alive, everybody. He's alive. 
He's alive. It's what we celebrate on Easter. He's alive. The tomb is empty. Our King is alive. And we celebrate it one more time. Bow your heads with me as we close it. Father, we praise you today. We thank you for the mercy and the grace that you sent your son, Jesus. That he died on a cross. That he was buried. That he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And we thank you again for the mercy and the grace that you have shown us. Some of you today, you've been following Christ for a while. And you know the change that he's made in your life. I want to give you an opportunity today. Right now, right where you're sitting, let's just begin to worship him. Begin to tell him thank you for what he's done in your life. You know where you came from. You know how he set you free. You know what Jesus has done for you. Just right now, just begin to lift up worship. Begin to praise him. Begin to tell him how much you love him. Father, we thank you. Jesus, for your sacrifice, we thank you. Lord, we worship you. We praise you again on this Easter. We lift up our praise and our worship. We thank you for all that you've done, for the difference that we say we're not who we were. It was nothing that we did, but we're not who we were. And Jesus has saved us. And we worship you on this Easter. Come on, church, let's just begin to lift up prayer. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus, that you have changed us, that you've set us free. That you've done a work in our life that no one else could do, that we couldn't do under our own power. That you don't give us what we deserve. You don't repay us for our sins, but you've given us life. Romans 6, the first part says, for the wages of sin is death. But the second half of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's eternal life. We thank you, Jesus. Now, there are those of you who are here today. And you're recognizing that you're one of the two thieves. You're realizing that you're one of the two thieves. You're saying, I know that that's me. And the good news is you get to choose which one you want to be. Get to choose which thief you want to be. And the unfortunate reality of the fact is there will be two people sitting side by side. And one of them may choose not to accept the free gift of Jesus. But the great news, the good news of Easter is that you can. That you can accept it. That you can choose to be thief number two. Thief number one trying to say, I don't need that. I'm not a bad person. But you recognize some of you today. It's why you're here, to be honest. It's why you clicked on the video and watched online. It's why you stumbled across this. It's for a reason. God is drawing you. And you say in my heart, I know that I'm thief number two. I know that I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. But I want the free gift of Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to be forgiven. I want to set aside these. I want to have it cleared and forgiven and freed. I want that in my life. You say, I'm like that. I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm guilty, but I know I need a savior. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you. Don't let this service pass without praying, without surrendering your life to him. And so I'm going to ask you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if that's you, if you say, I need his grace, I need his forgiveness, I need his mercy, I recognize it today. You say, I choose to be more like thief number two. I choose to repent. I don't want to pay the price for my own sins. I want to accept the gift of life that Jesus offers. If that's you today, if you say, that's me. No one else is looking around, but right now, I want you to be bold. Right now, if that's you, you say, I want to pray that prayer. Right now, Easter Sunday, no better time to make this decision. If that's you, you say, pray with me, Ben. I want to make that decision right now. Lift up your hand across this room. If you say, that's me, I want to pray. I see it in the back. 
If you say right now, pray for me, I see it there. You say, pray for me, I want to make that decision. Don't let it pass you by. Don't be thief number one saying, I don't need that. I'm not as bad. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Be bold. In the back, I see those two hands. If that's you right now, you say, pray for me. Right here, I see that hand. Every head is bowed, but right now, if you say, pray for me, that's me. I want to do a church, just pray. If that's you, you say, I want to make that decision. I want to pray with those who are making this. Say, I want to be included. I see I need help. I need a savior. If that's you, anyone else before we pray, you say, include me in that prayer. Ben, that's me. Anybody else before we close? Just raise it. Just raise that hand. We say right now. God, we say right now. Right now, we're going to pray this prayer. Everybody pray. No one prays alone. Church, let's pray this. Just say these words. Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now listen to me, if you prayed that prayer today, no better decision you will ever make in your entire life, I promise you. We celebrate with you, we encourage you, and we just want to talk over with you what your next steps are in the faith. So I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, don't leave today without meeting one of our team members at the Next Steps Corner. We'd love to pray with you, we'd love to talk over the decision you just made. Incredible, incredible decision. Don't leave today without talking to them. Because we want to talk about what it means now to follow Christ. That you've made the decision that Jesus has wiped your slate clean. That you are forgiven and you are eternally secure. So we'd love to celebrate that with you. And one more time, church, bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, one more time we celebrate with those who made that decision. We celebrate the victory of Easter. God, one more time we celebrate that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive. One more time, as a church, we celebrate that our sins are forgiven, that you do not give us what we deserve, that we deserve death, but you gave us life. We deserve condemnation, but you gave us acceptance. Lord, we deserve to be a failure, but you brought us into the kingdom. And we thank you again, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Once again, we thank you that the stone is rolled away. Once again, we thank you that the tomb is empty. Once again, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all the church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate what God has done today? Church, you're dismissed. Have a blessed Easter as you go. We'll see you next Sunday morning.